This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast where we are getting very, very close to the start of the Premier League season now. Everton have played their final pre-season match of the summer, beating Dynamo Kiev. 3-0, I'm going to go with 3-0. There's a bit of bit of confusion, I suppose, of whether it was 3 or 4-0, but I think uh, we'll stick with 3-0 uh, at Goodison Park last Friday. Uh, I'm your host today, Adam Jones, joined by Joe Thomas and Gav Buckland, where we'll be going over that Dynamo Kiev match, a couple of the players who uh, stood out from that Kiev match. We'll talk about the pitch invasions uh, after that game as well and the club's response to it. And of course, we've got transfer talk still to uh, still to talk about as well for the next month, which we're, <laughs> which is going to be nice and lovely, isn't it? But Joe, we'll uh, we'll start with that Dynamo Kiev match. Uh, it was still a pre-season game, wasn't it? It was a charity match, of course. So maybe you don't read too much into the performance. But what did you make of Everton? I thought there were still some positives at, at the end of the day. You know, I thought they started really well. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin got the goal uh, and they looked quite threatening for the first half an hour. It dropped off a little bit after that, or at least dropped off until Dwight McNeil came on. But, you know, I thought for the most part, there were, there were, there were positive signs. I like the way they started. I like the fact that, obviously, the big question going into it, I think, for, for a lot of us was after Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Damari Gray had missed the Blackpool game as a precaution, would they be available and what kind of level of fitness would they be at? Because I think all of us were probably, you know, staring into the abyss a little bit after Blackpool before, you know, blinking heck of Everton are starting the season, having sold Richarlison and potentially with Calvert-Lewin suffering more injury issues, then we could be in for a real slog. As it happened, I thought Calvert-Lewin looked quite fit. He was he was very busy in that first half an hour. He, he got the goal, he, you know, he read the ball well. Another example of what James Tarkovsky can do when he's on the ball, if you give him a bit of time and space. We know that Everton have you know a few weaknesses in midfield, in particular when it comes to things like creativity. I'm not saying that Tarkovsky is going to fill that, but if he can get a little bit of time and space on the ball, we have now seen across the last three preseason games that he can pick a man out if someone's making the run, which is which is positive. Calvert Lewin had the wherewithal to make them make the run, and it was quite a clever header for the goal. I think it's important that he got a goal in pre-season. Obviously, this was his last chance to do so. But also for the next half an hour or so, his his all-round play was quite good. He, he looked quite active. He won quite a lot of the balls with it fired into him up top. Laid off to Damari Gray once or twice. You know, he nearly forced a keeper into a good save from close range. Had a good header from a Damari Gray cross that went just high and wide. So I thought Calvert-Lewin was a, a positive. I also liked Nathan Patson. You know, he, he backed up his really impressive performance against Blackpool. Again, with a, a really entertaining first 20 minutes. You know, he's repeatedly found by by Abdullah Dekori down the right. And, you know, he was happy to drive into the space, deliver a ball when he had the opportunity, but also had the sense to, when there wasn't somebody in the box, just to pull the ball back and come back to midfield rather than waste possession. So I thought those those were positive signs, as, of course, was, was Dwight McNeil coming on scoring two goals in quick succession, which, you know, I think, I think we've all spent a couple of days looking at that stat where, you know, people were bandying around where he got no goals and one assist in the whole of last season. It's only a preseason friendly as well, but obviously two goals in five minutes is is a positive sign. So mm, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Dwight McNeil later on, Gav. But we saw Everton line up with a five at the back on Friday, and I know there's still from from that point on there was still eight days before the start of the Premier League season. But do you think that's a strong hint at what 
with the current squad of players at the very least, Frank Lampard thinks is probably the best way to set his side up for at least the first couple of weeks of the season. Absolutely. Um, I think we said last week that'll be Friday be a big indicator of where the, the Chelsea lineup's gonna come from. I think it's not just having there's a couple of things there, isn't it? Having five at the back means we can push the full backs on and given the lack of midfield creativity in the modern game, full backs are creators, aren't they? Probably just even more than what they are defenders, some would say. Same for the top clubs. I think there's that. I think that the second aspect is it you know gives us strength in the middle of the defence. And I think the third, it, it, it also takes care of to a certain degree our lack of options, defensive options in midfield at the moment. So I think as long as we've not got a sort of recognised defensive midfielder, and I don't class Alan as a defensive midfielder, um, I think three may be the, the way forward. Within that, that depends on a few issues, i.e. being as fitness. So, yeah, I think... I I I I like I like um, three at the back if we can get Tarkowski and Mina in there and I think probably play Godfrey. Mm. He doesn't necessarily seem to be a natural fifth for me. The, the only thing with Keane is I mean I know Godfrey uh, sorry Tarkowski can knock the ball is forwards and his long passes and stuff is is Keane for the though he can be maligned is actually quite decent with the ball at his feet and that's what he wants in the back three. So, mm. somebody in the middle, in mm. the ball, I was. Um, and uh, that that's the only, the only downside not having him in the in the team. But if you have a back three, of me and the Tarkowski, maybe got three, but two overlapping four backs. Yeah, I'd take that. I think that would be mm. a a decent, you know, decent springboard uh, to build on for for the rest of the team. Mm. I think Gav's quite right, isn't he, Joe? That you know, while we're talking about the strengths of you know having three centre backs and allowing to push the wing backs a little bit further forward, there's still a lot of questions going on about that midfield. And you know, we we looked <laughs> before the game at a midfield of Alex Awobi and Abdelaziz Kore, and I called it bold, and it and it it did prove to be a little bit bold, didn't it? But do, do you think it worked? Like it, it it's very it's very tough to know what sort of if we are going to set up with this system, for example, against Chelsea. Very tough to know which two central midfielders Lampard's actually going to pick, isn't it? It is. I think when it comes to Friday, yeah, I think it was fair to say that that was quite an experimental midfield selection. Um, and speaking to, to Frank Lampard after the game, the reality you asked him, was this something that had been planned, something you work on in training, or, or is this just some a, a response to the situation that you've got in your hands at the moment? Uh, I think the reality is that it was injuries that yeah. forced him into, into playing along those lines. You know, after the game, he confirmed that you know, amongst several players that are out, you Andre Gomez and Tom Davis, who are both options in centre midfield. Andre Gomez hasn't played any minutes in in preseason, which I mean, there might be some injury issues there, but that might give some indications to where Lamp he lies and Lampard's thoughts. Davis had started a couple of games, scored against Blackpool, but he had a knock as well. Alan has been recovering over the summer from injury, and I think that's why he started on the bench. He did come on for the past fifty minutes, we can't be far off, but. He's clearly not quite ready to start. So I think we know that Decorey is, is a centre midfielder. Um, and I think the reality is that it's probably another case in his Everton career where Alex Awobi's versatility and fitness means that he's a you know a square peg in a round hole. But they did all right. They did all right. Mm. I mean, again, there wasn't a huge amount riding on the game. It's a Kiev side that 
European Champions League qualifying action only a couple of days earlier. And so we probably shouldn't read too much into it. I thought the two played quite well and, and Frank was quite vocal in his praise for how they handled the situation on, um, on, on Friday night. But I don't think that that's something that they're going to choose to look at to start the season with. Obviously, if a couple of players remain injured or pick up injuries, you might be forced into it. But I don't think that that's been some sort... I don't think a, a midfield two of Decore and Inouye has been part of some sort of cunning plan that Lampard's <laughs> about to unleash in the league. But I think, yeah, five, five at the back, you know, three centre-backs, it just plays to the strengths of that squad at the moment. And mm. the strength of the squad lies in the centre-backs. I like the look of Patterson and Mikalenko, but I also think that they're still very... I mean, Patterson hasn't even played a game in the Premier League. So they're still very they're still very raw and learning their trade. And I think the pressure of playing four at the back and those two as full-backs would perhaps allow Evan to be exposed a little bit too much, especially when you haven't got a defensive midfield in front that can perhaps provide a bit of cover for for, for one of them if, if they go forward. So quite often they say that, you know, attack is the best form of defence. And I think in Evan's case at the moment, defence is the best form of attack because in Mikalenko and in Patterson, if you give them, if you put three centre-backs there and you give them the freedom to, to go up and down the flanks, we've seen that their end product is actually quite good so far. Um, and obviously if we've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin one of the things that really he really struggled with, I think, at the back end of last season when he was playing, was the fact that Everton, had, through, again, through necessity, had changed style. So it wasn't like a, say, perhaps under Ancelotti, where they were, you know, focusing on crossing the ball into the box for him. It was again a lot of it was coming through the middle. Well, now we haven't got Richarlison, um, and there are still issues in the centre midfield. So if you're in a situation where we've got a fully fit Dominic Calvert Lewin up front, what you want is balls on his head and Mikalenko and Patterson are probably the safest routes providing that. Mm. I think if we're talking about in that sense as well, Dwight McNeil's probably going to play a crucial role in that sense. And, you know, I'm not sure we've actually had a chance to speak about this. That transfer on the podcast, that came quite quickly last week that Everton has agreed to deal with Burnley things seem to move quite quickly on that front. Gav, I mean, just your initial thoughts on Dwight McNeil. What 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 do what do you make of him? Are you are you excited to see him in Royal Blue? Well, we've been linked with him before, haven't we? Mm. Um, <laughs> I would like to have heard the conversation. By the way, Burnley, given my Burnley's sort of question marks over our financial stability <laughs> in the last few years, and like you know, where you get the money from. <laughs> we want that cash up front. Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we, 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 we know you're scared, but we'll take your money anyway, you know. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I like my initial before before Friday. I say you shouldn't read too much into it. I think I like McNeil. Um, I, I was thinking, by the way, he scored a great goal, didn't he, against us for Burnley? About players who scored great goals against Everton, who've laid to sign for us. And I was thinking, I can only think of McNeil. I remember Yakubu scored a great one for Portsmouth, didn't he, at the Gladys Street mm. end yeah. uh, in 2004-05, you know. But setting that aside, um, I like McNeil, and I don't need too much into his stats either. In fact, I think he's very much of an unknown quantity, isn't he, really? Which is a good thing, in terms of that's reflected in the fee. Um, in that... We all know the constraints that are placed on Bernie players and the style of play, and that's not necessarily great if you're a forward or attacking player in terms of your stats. And there's a distinct possibility that, and, and this is this is a really positive thing for Everton, that his potential wasn't even nowhere near reached at Burnley, especially given his age as well. He was he 20? 22. 
22. Yeah. You know, so so though it's it's, it's you know the fee there's there's a cash sum involved. I think there's a lot of potential there, and and I wouldn't need too much into his uh, stats and say, oh yeah, it's, it's too much for a player who, who didn't contribute much last year on face value. Um, you, you buy potential, and and that way, the fee and the way the the, the, the fee is structured based on, you know, instalments and given our financial circumstances, the, the fee and that and the structure of it is, is not a problem either. And take all that to account. I think it's a good good deal. And I, um, I think a left footed attacking option is is something that we really had, have we, over the last five or six years? Who mm-hmm. do you have? Hammers for the year. Hammers for the year. When 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 not on flying to South America um, <laughs> on his bed. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. So it's something different as well. That we've not mm-hmm. really had, and I, I am really excited by that. And I know you can say a lot about pre-season what they mean. I think he'll be feeling a lot better with about Jordan Evan having to score and two on on Friday. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think that's right about the about the transfer fee, really, isn't he? Because this is the kind of deal that I suppose you want to see Everton chasing after. You know, they were very interested in Dwight McNeil last year. You know, I think I remember at the time talk of. A fee of about 30 million, 35 million. Now, obviously, he didn't have this kind of season that he would have wanted last season in terms of you know sheer goals and assists. But you know, if you look at his other numbers in terms of chances created, for example, he, he was still he was still creative for for that Burnley team, wasn't he? So, if Everton can get you know harness that sort of potential that Dwight McNeil has, as as Gav rightly says as well, he's still only young. Mm. Feels like he's older because he's been around the Premier League so long. But if Everton can tap into that potential. You've essentially bought somebody at, at the at their lowest, really, isn't it? Which it, which you know is quite savvy transfer business. Yeah, I think so. Everton aren't in a situation at the moment where they can buy players whose star is on the rise. You know, they can't buy players who are at the top of their game, um, or, or or players that uh, have got a lot of forward momentum at the moment because of the you know, the financial limitations, and, and also perhaps in in terms of attracting those type of players to a club that already just missed out on a relegation. Last season, Ben Dwight McNeil, they've got somebody who's just 22 years old. He's got 134 Premier League appearances. I mean, that's an enormous amount of experience. You know, did he do particularly well last season? OK, you know, his core stats suggest that, that, that he didn't. But obviously, he was playing in a, a Burnley side that perhaps struggled for a bit of creativity. He struggled in general, and that, that's why they went down. But one of the things that we've already seen so far in pre-season across the four games is in the signing of James Tarkovsky, James Tarkovsky, everyone knew that Everton were going to get a leader. They knew they were going to get somebody who was a strong, resilient you know, presence at the back. Perhaps what we didn't realise so much, and, and maybe it's a it's a lack of, uh, of my own um, knowledge on Tarkovsky, but it was just how good he is on the ball. Mm. You know, it has been patently obvious over the friendlies that they've played so far just what he can do with a little bit of time on the ball, a little bit of space. He's got a lot of vision. And he's produced quite a lot of, you know, quite a fair bit of an attacking threat so far. And we did he, you know, he played a ball over the top that nearly set up Gordon against Minnesota United. He switched play to start the move that started for Everton's first goal against Blackpool. He played a through ball for Rondon against Blackpool to create a one-on-one, which you know, Rondon isn't the quickest. And by the time he got his shot on the way, a one-on-one wasn't a one-on-one anymore. But that wasn't Tarkovsky's fault. And of course, Tarkovsky scored the first. Um, played the ball over the top for Calvert-Lewin for the first goal on Friday. So, 
you know, we've already seen that there are more sides to Tarkovsky's game than were perhaps visible whilst he was at Burnley last season. I don't think it's beyond, um, you know, I don't think it's beyond the imagination to think that McNeil might have the same kind of potential in his locker that might be able to be unleashed in, in a better side or under a different manager, a different set of circumstances. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think, Gav, that a lot of people are getting, I don't want to say hung up on his, on his goals and assists because uh, in a way I can't understand why people are maybe questioning uh, you know, the goals and assists output because, uh, let's face it, Everton need goals in this team right now, especially after the exit of Richarlison, who was the club's top scorer last season. They need to replace his goals somehow. And, you know, I think we've said multiple times on this podcast that Everton can't just replace Richarlison with one player. And do you think the signing of McNeil kind of exemplifies that? Do, do they need somebody else who's going to come in and be you know a bit more of a goal scorer rather than a creator up there? Well, both. We've just said about Cavalier needs creativity around him, don't we? So you're looking mm. for both. I, w- I wouldn't get too hung up over the stats. Um, and Joe, I, I, the piece you did with Paul Cremant was it last week, which I think was really illuminating. And I was more than happy to see him say that, you know, those stats are important. They are not the, an end in itself. Mm. That you look at the, the player as a whole. <laughs> and I, I, that's the thinking I like. There's far too much emphasis played on on, on stats in, in, in terms of purchasing players for me. And, and this is this is, this is is proof of that, isn't it? That the club have looked at it, but they're not looking at the stats really. They're looking at them as a player. <laughs> so I, I, I see a bit, bit of both. Uh, to be honest, a few goals, but I'm looking forward to being creative and just giving us other options because he's left-footed. And mm. we said before on the pod, pod there's, there's worse, um, there's worse transfer strategies than than uh, buying buying the best players of clubs have just been relegated. Mm. I mean, some some of the best players in the Premier League in the position have been in that, you know, have been in that scenario, haven't they? Our goalkeeper for one. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't worry the fact that he's gone gone down, and I think in a different different team with the diff, different players and different emphasis, you can really really flourish. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing him in in a blue shirt. I think he, he'll be a star for us. Mm. I mean, just sticking with you, Gav, as well. If we're if we're talking about Everton's formation, perhaps being with this wing back sort of role, I don't think like me and Joe were discussing this at the game. Uh, on Friday, you can't really play wing backs and you know out and out wingers in the same sort of system, can you? And do you no. think McNeil maybe fits into you know this inside forward role a, a little bit more, as you say, cutting inside onto his left foot sort of thing? Yeah, playing closer to Carver Loon if Carver Loon's a central mm-hmm. striker. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some interesting selection issues there, isn't there? I suppose because if we if we do like three four three. And you know, in the middle four are two overlapping full backs and two midfielders, you know, that leaves three up top. And I'm just just wondering when we were the start of the pod, we were talking about playing overlapping full backs in the back five or whatever, or three sides of that. Who the front three would be, Calvert Loons, I think, nailed on. Mm-hmm. Then th- there's several options there, isn't it? That I'm not necessarily yeah. like sort of they overlap, don't they? Literally, mm. Gordon and McNeil. I'd, I'd say right now that's probably the, the strongest pairing for me. Yeah, yeah quite possibly. I mean, Awobi has looked in mm. really good shape uh, throughout pre-season. Uh, and 
that's probably playing him behind a striker is probably but more central is probably playing him in his best position. Mm. Deli Ali, similarly, you know, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a bad thing. We're almost the case of you loading the, you building the the formation in a way that suits Everton's strengths at the minute, and in having three centre, you know, Everton are strong in the centre back options. You know, you would think that between the players that they've got, there should be a relatively effective partnership. Um, you know, between the, the the six main centre backs that they've got, if, if to get those three. And the other thing is, yeah, players that can play at number 10 or an inside winger. And I suppose that's it. The, the reality, if you play a formation like that and you've got Damari Gray, you've got Anthony Gordon, you've got Alex Wobe, you've got Ali, you've got McNeil. You know, what you what you are doing is you're creating a scenario where, first of all, you're going to have legs that are always going to be pestering in defence, which when we've got five substitutions this season, that, that might be useful. Um, being able to bring on fresh players that can fit into that formation um, easily uh, and secondly you're probably taking a little bit less a little bit of pressure off a lot of the other players because rather than relying on one person to have a, a, a brilliant season yeah but between that hopefully they can share the responsibility and you can find a bit more creativity and a few more goals from, from midfield all of a sudden Everton need maybe that to click for one or two players from five or six options as mm. opposed to only having if you play two up front, there's only Calvert-Lewin, so you're entirely yeah. reliant on Calvert-Lewin. So it's almost a case of spreading the responsibility in the same way that, you know, in, in that formation, we probably imagine there's two sitting midfield, centre midfielders in front of the defence. Again, it's, it's spreading the responsibility because whether we like it or not, Everton probably don't have the quality for one person to take that position by the scruff of the neck. Everton probably need to play with two centre midfielders that, that, that have almost a protective role because they just haven't got an out-and-out defensive midfielder at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sticking with you, Joe, as well. You know, it was a it was a really good atmosphere. I thought at the game on a on Friday, but it did kind of end in uh, probably less less than ideal circumstances with a few fans running onto the pitch. We saw the club release a statement uh, over the weekend saying that stadium bans and criminal prosecution can and will be enforced to punish anyone that enters the playing area. The trend of children being sent onto the pitch has recently increased in prevalence. And this cannot and will not be tolerated. Uh, it was it was a strange end to the match, wasn't it? In in, in that sense, yeah. I mean, it, it was like, bizarre in the first place because yeah, they, we had the situation with Paul Stratton where he come yes. on to take the penalty, yeah. which which was a lovely moment, yeah. a lovely moment that, that I'm not sure a lot of people quite knew was coming. No, um, <laughs> the Dynamo Kiev players were looking around, going. Um. Even, even myself, when I saw that they had the penalty, I was like, I, I looked up from my computer where I was typing my you know, my full time. Uh, match and I was thinking, what have I missed here? Who's, who's been brought down for this? But obviously, that that was a lovely moment. And then after that, yeah, we saw the same against Blackpool with with, with young fans running onto the pitch, um, you know, trying to you know, meet their heroes. And you know, we want to encourage an environment where where young Everton fans can come and enjoy the match. And obviously, we want to try and create unity in a relationship between those young supporters and and the players on the pitch. But Having them or a selection, even if it's a small number of them coming onto pitch at the end, just just isn't the best way to, to do that. I don't think. You know, Evan have come out of there being quite clear that, you know, it might be your child that's running onto the pitch, but don't think that the guardian who is responsible for them won't 
will we'll avoid penalty as a result. And I think that's probably a message that just needs to be shared just so people understand that there could be serious consequences for what is you know, essentially quite an innocent thing, but something that shouldn't be allowed. And I think that, you know, again, just just look at what happened with Everton over the course of last season on a number of different fronts. I don't want to sound all doom and gloom, but it does feel a bit like any opportunity to punish Everton, you know, the authorities might sometimes take. Mm-hmm. Just don't give them the opportunity to do so in the first place. Yeah. You know, this, these these type of incidents can have a real impact on the lives of the families of, 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 of the children who do this and, and also just, you know, potentially on the club as well. Both mm-hmm. of them would be a detrimental. It'd be, it'd be a shame to... It'd be a shame for that enthusiasm and that joy that following football can bring to, to children to end up having you know, negative consequences for the, their, their families and, and, and the clubs as well. So if the club are saying don't do it, I think hopefully the message gets through. Just We've had a couple of incidents now. I can understand why people might have thought it would be okay mm-hmm. to a certain extent before, but now there's no excuse for that naivety. You know, just... Um, Express your 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 joy and support for Everton and 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 your love your your children's enjoyment of the game in in, in different ways. I think mm-hmm. it, hopefully it won't happen against Chelsea and and hopefully it won't happen again. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. I, th- I don't think it's necessarily an Everton specific trend. No, is no, it? you know, no, it, not, it's something not. something that we've seen a, a a lot of Premier League grounds over the course of the last few months. I think that it did happen at the Community Shield game as well, maybe. Yeah, and City like, had yeah, on the pitch and well. they. Yeah, but like Gav, what what do, what do you make of it all? It, it 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 seems to have sprung up out of nowhere a little bit. This trend, but you know, I, I think the club are quite right in trying to hammer down on it as much as possible right now, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. It's criminal offences, isn't it? And mm. you know, pen, penalty, you know, points, penalties, ground closures. The club's quite right to uh, to to warn people off, and you know, uh, say the. So, so we'll take the right sort of sanctions if you if you transgress. I, I just feel sorry for the ground staff who spent like two months, yeah. ten weeks trying to perfect the perfect playing surface for the season. You got like thousands of people trampled on it, you know. And um, you know, if, if you ever, I mean, you've walked on the Goodson turf. I mean, it is perfect. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You, can, you can imagine, imagine like a lot, you know, a lot of people walking on it can cause, you know, mm. considerable damage. So they're the people I feel really sorry for. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I people say it's harmless. I disagree. I, I thought I thought that the scenes against Palace were quite worrying. I think we were quite lucky to get away with um, with what we did there. I think there was a few incidents with Palace players. You know, not just at the end. I think after one of the goals that were slightly worrying. And if I'd have been on the pitch, I would have been very wary because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you do not know what somebody's carrying or what their intentions are. It's all very well saying, oh, come on, have a laugh and a sing. And, you know, you just don't yeah. know, do you? And mm-hmm. as somebody who watched a lot of football in the 1970s where it was quite violent in the ground and on, on the pitch, um, you, you know, I, I still remember those days and that that warning still applies now from history. So I, I in that context, I fully, fully support the club and I hope everybody behaves themselves on on Saturday and for the remainder of the season, both home and away as well. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I completely agree with that sentiment. Uh, but from there, we'll move on to some transfer talk. Of course, <laughs> of course, we've got transfer talk to uh, discuss, and I think probably the name on everybody's lips right now is Idris a guy, isn't it? You know, another another move that seemingly came out of the blue a little bit. 
last week a potential return to Goodison Park for Idrissa Guy. You know, I, I don't want to. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. I don't want to date us too much, Joe. But you know, as 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 things stand right now, what's uh, what's the position as we understand it? Yeah, I mean, as we understand that the the position seems that there is genuine interest there. Uh, I'm not sure that anything is is imminent. But I think there is definitely interest there from the Evans side. There are some talks ongoing. Whether they end up with him coming to the club or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, another midfielder that was linked quite heavily with Everton at the end of last week was, was Ross Barkley, who was mm-hmm. also a, another returning midfielder, according to some of the reports. There's nothing in that. Um, I think quite confident in being able that's to rule that out. Thank our lucky stars, to, to, um, to be honest. But yeah, so... <laughs> So there's no secret that we have Frank Lampard wants to strengthen his midfield. And I think there's also no secret that Everton have their hands tied to some extent in this transfer window. And it appears that it appears that at least some element of, of their search has taken to at least exploring the idea of Guy. As I say, whether or not that comes into fruition, I'm not sure, but I think he's a name on our list at the moment. Mm. I mean, Gav, in terms of Idrissa Guy, uh, 2019, Idrissa Guy leaves Everton after a few months of speculation, moves on to join PSG. Everton start their hunt for an Idrissa Guy replacement, essentially, in the squad. Three years later, that hunt's still going on, and it could well end with Idrissa yeah. Guy replacing Idrissa Guy. I mean, I understand what Joe's saying about you know the hand that the Everton have been dealt with, essentially, in terms of this transfer yeah. window, and you know, I'm not, I'm not discounting how good Idrissa Guy is as a footballer. Obviously, he's a, he's a fantastically gifted uh, player, but it kind of does sum up the transfer failings that Everton have had over the last few years, doesn't it? That they've ended up circling back around to this position. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'd, I'm, I'm torn about the Idrissa Guy link for the simple reason that I was never necessarily the biggest fan of him, as you know, when, when he was here the first time. Uh, I certainly don't view... I'd, I'd argue that Alan is a replacement mm. there or thereabouts to just again get... Because mm-hmm. I don't I don't view him as a number six. You can take the ball off the defence and, you know, take the ball on the half term and, you know, play passes into feet out of the back four. Mm. To me, he's a very... He's a player like Alan and who, who goes around the pitch putting out fires. Uh, I, I always felt he was a little bit ill-disciplined in terms of his positioning. I thought his, his use of the ball was was average. But what he was good at was pressing and, you know, yeah, I think that's one season he had the most tackles, didn't he? Mm, yeah. In one of the campaign. There's me saying a distrust football stats, but when it suits me arguments, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just hypocritical, that, isn't it, really? Um, so I'm torn about it. Um, I, I could... That's a, and and the other the other thing is he's thirty three, isn't he? In September. Mm-hmm. So if we, I would just imagine now if if he hadn't played for Everton, and bear in mind he'd probably on decent money if he comes on a free and it, you know, all that. If if he hadn't played for Everton, we said we're going for him. I wonder what the supporters would have said then. Mm. You know, and yeah. I know that's a hypothetical thing, but to, to, to me it make but it does make sense in the, the midfield issues we've got, as we spoke about there, that we do need somebody with a little bit more bite. And there's probably concerns over Alan's fitness as well. And he's only got mm. one year left on his contract. Mm. There's that. And there's also the aspect, as Joe was saying there, about structuring the deals. There's no 
fee involved, no cash sums involved. It, it sort of fits in with our, our financial circumstances at the moment. He's known by the club. I presume he still likes playing here. But so it, it, I'm sort of torn, you know, I can see why we would want to buy him and I think financially why it makes sense. But at the same time, I don't really see him as being a proper number six. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think as, as Adam kind of alluded to, it, it yeah. stinks of a response to the situation that haven't found themselves in after, you yeah. know, several years of... of excess in the transfer market but without forward planning mm-hmm. you know I think that had he not been known to us and and Everton were on the brink of, of signing someone who's approaching 33 and you know possibly you know on a you know for next year or two we may well have been a little bit more concerned but obviously there is a gap in midfield as we've just 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 spoken to, uh, about you know there, there are other issues with Guy as well in the background, you know. Obviously, yeah, there is uh, there was a little bit of controversy in, in in France around you know him last season as well, which we'll probably come on to if he does end up signing for the club. But I think ultimately, you know, it, it shows where Everton are at the moment. They're in a situation where, you know, it's all it's not a case of anybody will do if they are if if, if anything does actually come of it because you know they, they may well still be conducting due diligence and making decisions about whether or not they think he's the right fit for the club mm. but um you know I, I think everybody would think that after half a billion pounds worth of transfer spend in six years you'd be in a situation where you weren't thinking that the solution to your problems with one week to go in season was a you know a midfield who's approaching 33 years old and seemingly isn't wanted by his his, his parent club that's not to say that he doesn't have um, ability, but that's you know that's perhaps where we are. I think we're, we're almost seeing, I think, two separate transfer windows from Everton this season, where or the summer, where you have the the short term pragmatic approach, which is this is a side that only just avoided relegation last season. It has holes. It needs to be they need to be patched up as a, a matter of um, urgency. And anything, not not anything will do, but you know, obviously, if, if they sign Guy, then that'd be an indication of that. Um, and then, so you always have the short term plan. Tarkovsky, twenty nine. I mean, he could go for several years. So I think everybody agrees he strengthens the side in, in more ways than one. But obviously, it's a case of experience and resilience and robustness at the back, bearing in mind the in- injuries that they had at centre back position last season. And then there's the, the other element of the transfer window or policy, which is trying to kind of almost lay the foundation for Everton in maybe two or three years' time where they can perhaps push on a little bit, hopefully after, you know, Frank Lampard has stabilised and Kevin Fowler has stabilised the club and start to take them forward. And hopefully as some of the financial you know, profit and sustainability issues kind of fade into the background. And that's where you see signing someone like Dwight McNeil, who at only 22, who could well be going to bigger, bigger and better things and could use Everton as a... You know, this could be a new start for him and he's got a long career ahead of him if he does well. And obviously these predate Lampard and Fairwell, but obviously in, in Mikolenko, in Patterson, you have players there that could be for the future as well. And certainly in terms of what Frank's saying about some of the younger players that look like, at the moment, look like that they're going to be held on to. This might change then on the transfer market, but Stanley Mills, Lewis Warrington, Reese Welsh, like, you know, as it stands, they look like they're going to stay with the first team um, unless... 
real opportunities that can't be turned down come come for them to go on loan. Um, so you almost have that 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 dual approach from Everton at the moment, where it's they need just the bodies and the experience to make sure that they avoid a relegation battle next season, combined with the sowing the seeds for two or three years, when hopefully Everton are a club with real forward momentum. Um, being led by the likes of perhaps you know McNeil, Patterson, and 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 Anthony Gordon, and some of these young talents coming through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think I think it's spot on what what, what you're both saying. To be honest, I think you know ever ever the kind of have dealt with this hand in the in the in the transfer window almost aren't they? And you know, Gav, if if let's say for example the Idris guy does join Everton, do you think that that's the midfield problem solved? Or would you still want another body in there? I mean, you know, we're talking about another forward coming in as well. Would you still want another midfielder as, as well on top of that? Um, yeah, I, well, it depends, doesn't it? Because it depends if we can get rid of anybody, doesn't it? But we're talking no, about the ways, yeah. ways well, aren't we? And, you know, and there we are then saying we should get more midfielders in. You know, it depends on, depends on uh, who we can get you can get rid of, which is one of the points, I was going to mention this point last week about, you know, where people were, you know, Farhad's statement when he said, like, judges at the end of the transfer window and people were saying, well, we can't do that. You know, it's five games into the season. It's too late. But that's spot on because we need to enter the transfer window to try and get rid of players, not just yeah. not just buy them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think if we can get, if there's one or two in the midfield, you can leave, and I think we're, I think we're talking there. Army Gomez would be one, wouldn't he, for the start? Gomez, Gabamin, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two, you know, one or two there. Yeah, we would need one. I still, I still don't think that guy's a a six. You know, I, th- I still think he's more of a he's more it's of interesting a. Interesting though, if, if we're if we're playing this, if we're playing this, you know, three four three system, should we call it? Do you need the number six? Well, that, that's that, that's a very good point, but you still want a six mm. if you're playing four at the back, yeah. don't you? know, yeah. we, we still need a six. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. You can have, sort of, if you play three at the back, three centre-halves, you can sort of have two runners a little bit more in the, in the middle. Mm. So, yeah, ideally I'd like to bring one in, but obviously that's dependent on two going out the door by the end of mm. end of August. So it would be, be interesting, A, what their role will be, if they did come in and be it was the, the two go out the door. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think I think Everton in an ideal world would probably want two centre midfielders and another another forward option in this window. Yeah. Um obviously talk about players that might be able to leave over the course of the summer. You know, obviously they lost centre midfielders through their contracts expiring. Um in in this this summer and you know we know that there's a, a big hole there because Evans' most influential centre midfielder last season was Fabian Delph who's mm-hmm. left and I, I think everyone can understand why his contract well what why he why he's why he's left the club and wasn't offered a new deal um, you know because of his age and his own injury concerns but I don't think anybody's under any illusions that there's there's gaps there in terms of. You know, not just experience and, and ability, but also ability as well and, and influence. We saw how much of a difference in that relegation battle, just like we saw how much of a difference it meant when Mina was on the pitch, which was 
fleetingly, but just enough to get Everton over the line. It was the same with Fabian Dell. Yeah. He was just about to make, he was just a, about and able enough to make enough appearances in those past eight games, in the last eight games of the season to positively influence Everton's survival campaign. So, mm. so yeah, so I, yeah, I, I Regard whether or not Gay comes in, you know, I, I think that going into the last month of the season, it will probably be a case of looking for strengthening with two mid because two midfielders. I mean, even even if Gomez and Gabamin stay, you know, they've had their own injury concerns as well. There mm-hmm. is just a reality there. And fitness, Tom Davis had a really bad injury last season, mm-hmm. picked up another knock in you know, in between the Blackpool and the Kiev games as well. So. Obviously, there's also does mean that there's an opportunity there for the likes of Lewis Warrants and Arise at Price to come through. But I think for them, and the same with Stanley Mills, same with Reese Welch, same with a couple of others, you know, whatever, and really need to, to give them the best opportunity to come through is to be in a situation where they're two or three nil up in games with mm-hmm. 20 minutes to go and you can bring them on in a positive situation with no pressure and aid their development that way. Whether that's going to happen this season, I'm not sure. It, it might be a case of, you know, you know putting them in the deep end straight away and, and they may well do well. I think there's a lot of positivity about those young players in there, but I think if they can, their, their development will be aided by a stronger midfield as, as, as well, I think. Mm. So I think there will be plenty of efforts to, to, to do that. I think, you know, speaking to Frank after the, the game against Kiev on Friday, he was saying about the transfer window going so far into the season. And I think from his perspective and from the view of some people in the game, that's causing a lot of clubs to behave a bit differently in the transfer window. And, you know, some clubs are, holding off on signing players some clubs are holding off on letting players go before they kind of get a fair indication as to as to where they are at the moment because also pre-season has been shorter because the world cup yeah so you know obviously everton are going into this saturday's game with a lot of question marks i think most premier league clubs are going Chelsea, in yeah. you know Chelsea <laughs> clearly yeah. are um i think you know of the premier league you know you look at man city and liverpool and uh, yeah they are just long-term projects that are just you know, going on at their own pace and moving forward each season, it seems. You look at Arsenal, they look like they've had a, a very good pre-season, did a lot of early business and they've played a lot of games and it looks positive for them. But beyond that, then there are a lot of clubs, you look at Leicester, that haven't signed anybody of note. Sounds like they're starting to have their own issues or concerns about financial fair play, you know, the profit and sustainability. I think... There's going to be almost the first fortnight of the season where a lot of the clubs are trying to judge where they are, and then there'll be a mad scramble at the end as they realise that either we're overstocked, we're better than we thought we were, we can try and get rid of a few players, or oh no, we're in real trouble here. You know, we might have to kind of you know cast aside our aspersions and start spending a bit of money. So where else fit within that, and whether they benefit from that or not, yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But um, what you're predicting is that you're not going to get any sleep. For like the last 48 hours of your of your like first deadline day experience. This is, this is my first transfer window <laughs> in the job, and I already hate it. And I think it's going uh, <laughs> to be a terrible, terrible month. <laughs> well, I mean, we've got that to worry about towards the end of the month, but I think that's all we've got time for today. We'll be back a little bit later on this week to preview Everton's first match of the Premier League season, taking on Chelsea at Goodison Park on Saturday evening. But for now, thank you lads for joining me and thank you for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.